weird music tonight. <laughs> 6 a.m. on the West Coast, 9 a.m. on the East Coast of America, 2 p.m. in London, where everything is not okay. It's 7.30 in Mumbai, India, 10, 11 o'clock at night in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia, it's 1943. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> which is not the title of my sex tape. Uh, <laughs> I got to explain, because somebody asked me today, and I realized some people have just discovered this show, live stream, video, and or podcast, and think it's some weird sex thing. It's simply an observation on the last two years, virtually, that we've all been working from home for the most part. And we go to work online, we have meetings, I know I do, all the time, just like this. This is what you see. And from here down, who cares? So I'm not wearing pants. And neither likely are you. Pajama bottoms, shorts, your underwear, or maybe whatever the good Lord gave you. But uh, yeah, that's why we decided to call the show I'm Not Wearing Pants. It, it has nothing to do with anything except just to be a little funny take on uh, on life during pandemics. <laughs> mm. it, uh, we got a lot coming up tonight. And uh, we're going to talk about the UK is not okay. That's our headline. We'll do a little bit about that. We've got some other stories, a couple of ideas for Valentine's gifts. Yes. Ooh, Valentine. It's coming up. Are you ready? If not, if you're stumped for a gift, I am. I may have some solutions for you. Maybe not. But you know our show. We find the weird stuff, and we've got some of that. So we will uh, we'll have that for you also. And, uh, of course, later on, we will read another chapter in Tom Sawyer. We read classic books on this show. I know, it's just a weird show, isn't it? But, you know, that's kind of what we do. We just give you a chance to get away from all the crap and all the controversy and all the garbage that goes on in the news, and we look for the fun, mostly fun stuff. And we try and bring you just a just under an hour of a break to get away from it all and think about something else for a change. Like, uh, Miko. Miko update. <laughs> Miko, Miko update. Yeah, the little girl is sleeping in the other room and she's doing really well. Uh, she is still on her heat cycle, so there's that news. Although it's got to almost be over. It seems like it's been a long time. Uh, and I did do a post today. So, uh, yeah, I thought I would just bring you some of her most recent paparazzi bits. Uh, this is the little girl. Again, if you're listening on the podcast, just uh, check out the, uh, the video of our show over on rumble.com. That's probably the best place to check it out. You'll find all 175 episodes there on rumble.com. But, uh, yeah, these were some Miko. Boy, she knows how to play the camera. Every time she sees that camera comes out, she is ready and posing. So <laughs> this is uh, this is the little girl doing her thing. And this one we just took tonight. This is uh, Miko being kind of ghetto. Uh, if you want to, again, if you want to see the shot, just check out our, our video replay on rumble.com or Perhaps you're listening now live on Rumble, Facebook, YouTube, and uh, Twitch.tv. By the way, Twitch, we got a couple of new uh, subscribers. So thank you very much for that. Really appreciate the subscriptions. If you are listening in on uh, YouTube especially, because we really need the help over there, just click that subscribe button. I think it's down over here somewhere. And uh, it really helps. It's absolutely free to follow or subscribe to our show we don't ask for your email. We don't ask for any information. You just click the subscribe button, and then you'll get notified when we're live or when we post a new video. So, yeah, please do that. It really does help. doesn't cost you anything. All right. Living in the U.K. Oh, no, it's living in the USSR or the USA. Anyway, at chilisauce.my, cool site. Check out the link. It's in our show notes. 
And uh, we always give you the links to the stuff that we talk about and a hat tip to the folks that we steal them from. Uh, ChiliSauce.my did an article, uh, just posted up this week. Rather cool, too. Uh, here, let me explain for those of you who may be in the U.S. or other countries besides Malaysia. I'm in Malaysia, so there you go. But it, it kind of relates to anybody who maybe sends your college students to another big-time city, uh, you know, to experience life, get an education, find out about all the good things that exist. Well, ChiliSauce.my did a, 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 an article called Malaysian in the UK debunks four myths about living and working there. Now, this is by Kyle Iman. To be fair, uh, this is one person's experience. Your mileage may vary. I'm sure everybody's got a different experience. But uh, the article says, <laughs> it's a little Malaysianized because it's a Malaysian site, but it says, Wow, work in the UK on now. So nice, la. She married Ang Mo. Sure, a lot of money won. Sponsor my dinner. You're earning British pounds now, what? If you've ever worked overseas in a developed country, chances are you've gotten those kind of remarks from friends or maybe relatives uh, like it or not, the Atas perception of living and working overseas uh, is very, very, very persistent in Malaysian society. In fact, that's one of the things I suffer from. The moment you see the uh, the Matsale, the Angmo, the Guaylo, the white guy, instantly they think, oh, you're fabulously wealthy. You've got unlimited resources. In fact, just today, just today, I had to tell off another one of these idiot marketers from some stockbroker firm or investment crap. I get these calls all the time because I'm an expat white guy living in Malaysia. So, of course, I must make $4 billion a minute. I don't, okay? Nowhere near anything like that. I pretty much make what you guys make. And I live on that, a simple little life. But of course, the impression is the white guy living in a foreign country, he's making a billion bucks a day. Uh, it ain't the case for this guy. But anyway, that is the impression. Um, when we broached the subject with a Malaysian friend, according to this article in Chili Sauce, who just recently returned from the UK for Chinese New Year, surprised to find out it may pay well working in the UK is nowhere near as glamorous as our couple uh, Chinese New Year aunties make it sound. So they caught up with Evangel Che, uh, che Grant, otherwise known as Eva, and a UK-based Malaysian friend who was more than happy to help us bust the most prevalent uh, myths about work in the UK and Malaysians. And suffice it to say, it says here, she said uh, the things that she told us will make your Earl Grey tea go cold. <laughs> uh, working in the UK equals rich. Myth number one. The reality, tax, tax, tax. And in case you missed it, more tax. Uh, you don't always take it at face value when an Ella relative brings home lots of branded goods from the UK. Um, but um, yeah, taxes are a big problem there. So, you know, don't expect everything to be uh, cheap and easy. Uh, the, again, I'm not going to read the whole article and go through everything, but just please do check it out. It's, it's really fascinating. Myth number two, the public's health system is world class. The reality, you could literally die before getting an appointment in a public hospital. And that's, isn't that always the case with government-run health care, you know? Uh, it's uh, no matter where, if you have government run healthcare, you've got a problem because the government doesn't know crap about healthcare, nor do they care. Uh, if you're a football ch uh, fan, chances are you're familiar with the UK National Health Society, NHS. Poster boy Harry Kane from Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, yeah, uh, despite the great PR work done by celebrities like Kane, the NHS is not without its problems. The biggest one, according to Ava, is the bureaucracy. Uh, when Ava, for example, wanted to get her gyna check, she had to call her GP for a referral, 
go to the hospital, go through three layers of admin staff, and then see the doctor for a consultation. At the end, she spent six to seven hours at the hospital over the course of one and a half months it took her just to get an appointment to get in to see the doctor for one checkup. So it ain't all it's cracked up to be. Myth number three, no downside to working illegally in the UK. I am not encouraging that. I'm just telling you what the article says. The reality is you'll have no human rights, no health coverage, and no bank account. You might skip the taxes, whatnot, by working illegally, but there is a whole host of other problems you're going to come with and have to deal with if you go that route, Uh, like the fact that you're probably pretty much hung out to dry if anything happens before you can get a legal residence status. Uh, Illegal immigrants working in high-intensity Chinese restaurants, you're often exposed to a lot of risks, open fire, flames, getting burnt, and when that happens, nobody is going to cover you. You're on your own, pal. So, something to think about. This is really, read the whole article at chilisauce.my. The link is in our description below, our show notes, because uh, it's fascinating. And myth four, marrying a British citizen is an easy way to get a UK passport. Eh. The reality is that renewing a spousal visa is expensive, and it takes five years to get a passport this way. And you thought Malaysian was crazy? Well, it is. But it ain't much less crazy in the UK. Five years for you to get a passport that way. Yes, you can qualify once you fulfill the requirements, but it's waiting out those requirements that is the hard part. Not only do you need to wait a total of five years, you'll also have to keep renewing your spousal visa to continue to stay. So it ain't all it's cracked up to be. Again, there's more details in the article, and I encourage you to please go check it out and read it at chilisauce.my. Zubaida! Hey! Zubaida has joined the stream. Thank you very much. Zubaida is uh, a colleague of mine. We work together for Studio Voxel, and uh, <laughs> it's good to see you in here. Thanks, Zubaida. appreciate that. Thank you. Yes, wow, cool. I'm talking to you. You. <laughs> All right, so check it out. Again, links in our show notes tonight, which is our description down below. Uh, we will collaborate because if, by the way, Zubaida, put your, uh, put your uh, Instagram in the, in the chat so people can see it over here on the screen because you need to follow this woman. She does amazing work. I'm not just plugging her because she's a colleague and a friend. I'm plugging her because she does amazing work. Her photography is beyond belief. And it's really cool. Please, I encourage you, just stick your your handle in and uh, um, we'll get some more followers for you there, Zubaida. So when you see that pop up over here in the chat, just put that into your Instagram and follow this amazing woman because she is great. Put it in the chat, lady, so it shows up on the screen. Uh, Renee2042 says, hey, Jay, I'm UK-based and a lot of the things in the article are very true. For the NHS, it really depends on where you are. Uh, Some places can get you an appointment or a referral quickly, some not so. But generally, A and E stays are on average four hours. Wow, cool. Thank you, Renee, for that. There you get word directly from the horse's mouth out of the UK. Thank you. Why aren't you posting? Oh, there it is. IG, Zubaidazen, Z-U-B-A-I-D-A-S-Z-N. That's her... uh, that's her handle on Instagram. Please check her out and follow her. You'll be amazed. Trust me. And thank you, Renee, for that. I really appreciate that. Uh, where are you? Over there on Facebook or Twitch? I think Twitch, it says. Uh, Facebook has Zubaida. Again, we're on four channels at the same time. Uh, Rumble, Facebook, YouTube, and uh, Twitch.tv. So I'm able to see everybody's chat. I just can't personally reply you in the software I'm using here. So, But I see you guys. Thank you. I'm not so sure about Rumble, but give it a try. We'll see. All right. Cool beans. Valentine's Day is just around the corner. Now, hold on because I need a coffee break. Mm. You know, come to think of it, you want to buy your Valentine something sweet and really unique and unusual? How about this? 
How about a mug with Miko's mug on it? This is our show mug. It's available. It's I'm Not Wearing Pants logo. And this is Miko. We call it Miko Merch because we've got that. Here, let me show you. We got mouse pads. There you go. Like that. I use this. I actually use this as my mouse pad. So hold on now. I got to get my mouse back. <laughs> okay. Uh, we've got t-shirts, ball caps, all kinds of cool stuff. And you'll find it all in the link on our description below in our show notes. In fact, it's the very first link you'll come up. After it says the UK not okay, right down below that is a link that'll take you to our merchandise on Streamlabs. And uh, you can pick up something cool from our show. So yes, uh, we are live also on YouTube right now. Uh, I'm just going to go over and take a look at the stream. Yep, watching it happen right now. So we're on, on all four channels, live, simulcasting uh, to all four. YouTube, Facebook, Twitch.tv, and Rumble.com. That's where we are live right now. And our show video comes up. It's, it's available for replay anytime after we're live. Also, our podcast. If you want to sign up and subscribe for our podcast, that's also free. We have folks listening around the world, a lot of folks in the U.S., in India, we have a big audience, in Malaysia, of course, and the U.K., Australia, New Zealand. Uh, thank you so much. We love you guys in uh, all, all of our podcast listeners. Uh, as I said, a lot of what we do is visual, so we always give you the links in our show notes on the podcast, or you can check out our video on Rumble.com or Facebook or YouTube. So yeah, cool beans. Uh, all right, Valentine's Day. If 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 a Miko mug isn't gonna cut it for your sweetie, uh, or a t-shirt or hoodie or ball cap from our merchandise store, uh, we've got some suggestions for you. But trust me, true blue to this show, they ain't all that normal. This is from the Huffington Post, which you know the Huff Post, but uh, the link is in our show notes, and it's thirty weird Valentine gifts. Your sweetheart will be sweet on. Whether it's a one-pound chocolate lobster, a booby-shaped pillow, or a baloney face mask. Yay, you never know. Valentine's will be sure to get a heart on. Heart, that's H-E-A-R-T on for these products. Having a love affair uh, is a great thing. Uh, except where Valentine is concerned, says the article. Focuses on generic gifts, cards, flowers, candy, and everybody gets forced into this romantic box, one size expected to fit all. Uh, but considering that your love is rather a unique person, okay, weirdo, uh, being required to pick out the ordinary gifts can be rather confining. So, a box of chocolates costume <laughs> would be potentially one idea see you don't just give a box of chocolates you can give yourself as a box of chocolates why not and then you can open it up oh man how about a baloney face mask yeah we don't eat a lot of baloney here in malaysia but you know if you're in the u.s i'm not so sure about the uk or australia or other western sort of countries but I know, I know from the U.S. and a bologna sandwich is the cream of the crop when it comes to cheap food. Uh, take a piece of bologna, maybe a piece of cheese if you're lucky, a little mayonnaise and mustard, slap it through between a couple of pieces of good old white bread, and off you go to the races. Well, apparently you can actually buy this as a face mask. I, don't ask me. It's in the article. Check it out. You want to look your best for Valentine? That may be a face mask made from bologna mm, or not <laughs> look at this one it's actually a chocolate lobster now between the price of lobster and the price of chocolate i'm not so sure this is going to save you any money but it is unique it is weird so if your love of your life your significant other is a fan of lobster and a fan of chocolate there you go. There's your chance to satisfy two urges in one. A one-pound chocolate lobster. And if you... <laughs> this is just too weird. If you wear false eyelashes, how about this one? Yes, those are little heart-shaped eyelashes, and this is not a Photoshop job. These eyelashes actually have little teeny tiny hearts on them. Uh, 
Now, I can't imagine what that would do to when you blink. But, hey, you know, we promised you the weird and unusual, and there you go. Uh, eyelashes for your valentine. <laughs> and a pink ghost face doll. Check this out. Knife in hand included. Oh, my God. Trying to scare up a little loving? How about this cute little stuffed doll of Ghostface from Scream? It's pink. So, you know, of course that makes it romantic. <laughs> just keeps getting more and more weird. A rose petal pre-roll? Oh! <laughs> okay. I should have probably previewed this article beforehand, but that's interesting. The hardest part about dating a stoner on Valentine's Day is figuring out whether to give them roses or weird. A pre-roll made from rose petals will, you allow, will allow you to spliff or split the difference. <laughs> Can you imagine? Made of rose petals. Can you smoke those? I would be a little worried about that, I think. Uh, okay, this just gets more weird as we go. There's a light-up butt plug, a rose-red costume. You can dress up like a rose. Check it all out in our show notes. I think we better not scroll anymore before this gets this gets me blocked or something. Oh, man. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that's the weird ones, I promised. <clears throat> Okay, and in a related story, this is Malaysian, pure and pure and true. But what a great story to follow up uh, of somebody who did really the most amazing, cute thing for for the love of their life. I'll, I'll share that with you in a minute. Uh, Renee says you can smoke anything if you try hard enough. <laughs> yes, that's exactly true. <laughs> if you really want to, you can smoke anything. <laughs> Check out this story from a world of buzz. Oh, man, this is going to get you right in the feels. Uh, hang on. I just got to get rid of the ads. There we go. A Mala the link's in our show notes. You want to read the whole thing. But a Malaysian saved up for three years to marry the girl of his dreams. He saved up his money. But that's not the interesting part of this story. The interesting part is how he saved it. He saved the money in bamboo tubes. Yeah, there's a picture. Check this out. There's the tubes in the first shot. And then here he's cracked one open, and inside is all the money. And then take a look at this. This is how much money the guy actually collected in a whole bunch of bamboo tubes over three years. Brilliant. He loves me, he loves me not. So he saved up for three years, and it's a lot. Uh, most of us have heard of lemang, which is bamboo rice that's cooked inside of a bamboo, a cut-up section of bamboo. It's delicious. Uh, traditional delicacy, where a lot of people during Raya have it. Uh, but a newly wedded groom just made lemang do it. Do it basically is like uh, money, cash. Lemang is the the rice inside the bamboo. And he did that to marry his sweetheart. People do wondrous things when they're in love. Check this out. Uh, there's, a, there's a picture of him cracking open one of his savings containers. Uh, the most romantic part, Farhan had kept this a secret from his bride all along to surprise her with all the money he collected a day before they tied the knot. There's a video showing Farhan sitting with a group of people calculating his savings as he cracks open the bamboo containers. Fast forward to a friend filming him cutting the bamboo open, overflowing with cash, and it was on TikTok. And uh, the user is now married with the caption reading, Thank God Pa'an Sam, which is his TikTok name, is now off the market. And there is a picture of the happy couple. That's absolutely amazing. Um, wow. He had managed to save up five, 10, and 20 ringgit notes 
in a bamboo tube. After dating for 11 years, he finally managed to save enough and decided to save up using a bamboo tube because you can only insert the money in the hole in the tube and the only way to get it out is by cracking the tube open. Now, I was looking for a total, but I don't see that in the article as to how much he actually wound up with. But apparently it was enough to, uh, yeah, and here's some of the comments. The effort is what counts. Congratulations and happy married life. That's exactly right. Wow. That is so cool. And there is the, uh, there's the happy couple. So whether it's in a bank, which might be, might be a little more safer place to put your money, or in a bamboo tube, uh, wow, ain't love grand. That, that is a cool story. We love that. Amazing. Congratulations to the couple, too. All right. Chinese New Year, of course, is ongoing. It's like, what did I tell you, 15 days of Chinese New Year. It's not just New Year's like one night, ooh, New Year, yay, bang, bang, and then it's over. Nah, these Chinese people know how to go crazy celebrating a holiday. Uh, for some reason, I just lost my monitor. Oh, now it's back. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> people do funny, weird, strange things, and this is the year of the tiger. We talked about that in our Chinese New Year episode. But... Uh, <laughs> According to this, this is a post from a friend of mine, Zachary. Thanks, Zach, for, uh, for sharing this tip of the hat to you. It's a public post. so. Um, but apparently, Negri Sembilan, which is one of the states here in peninsular Malaysia, police in uh, Bahau uh, Negri Sembilan are looking for a local youth who painted his dog like a tiger on New Year's Eve and then left it to wander the streets, and apparently it scared the hell out of a bunch of local drunks and sent them running for their lives. <laughs> Take a look at this. Yeah, look at this. In fact, look at this, this first upper picture here in the upper left, or, or right below it. This one is pretty obviously a dog painted up like a tiger. But, okay, this is kind of cruel. I don't know. I'm hoping he used some sort of thing that can just be washed out because it's, you know, to be politically correct, shouldn't probably have painted your dog. However, somebody did. And look at that. If you saw that thing coming at you and it was sort of dark outside, it's just like Zachary said, I would legit run if I saw this thing coming after me. Again, if you're listening to the podcast, I encourage you, please. I think I put a link in our show notes to Zach's post so you can check it out directly. Or you can watch the video of our show on Rumble.com. Just hit that subscribe button. Off you go. But this is so, this is, this is weird because that really does look like a tiger. Whoever did that paint job, brilliant. Amazing. Because well done. <laughs> well done. Unbelievable. All right, and one final story that I keep meaning to share and I keep forgetting. I even put the link in a couple of show notes because I was going to get to it, and I never did. It's a sad story in a way. Well, directly it's a sad story, but it's also the strangest story. But We didn't cover it very well in one of our past episodes, and I wanted to spend just a few minutes talking about it. The link, once again, is in our show notes, but it is uh, from... Allthat'sInteresting.com. Inside the mystery of Overton's Bridge, it's Scotland's what they call the dog suicide hotspot. This is the strangest thing. At least 300 dogs have jumped off this bridge in Dumberton, Scotland. And locals believe that paranormal activity is to blame. Now, this may be a little deceiving, this photograph of the bridge, because you see the top of the bridge, you'll see it down here. But these are the tops of trees. So this is not only what looks like about three or four meters down, but this is the top of a relatively tall tree. You can see the beginning of the tunnel here, or the, yeah. So it's probably another three or four meters in addition below that. Um, dog walkers beware, since the 60s, the Overton Bridge in Bumberton, Scotland, has been a mysterious hotbed uh, 
for what locals have called doggy suicides. According to the New York Times, local researchers estimate that at least 300 dogs have jumped off this bridge. Local tabloids report the number is closer to 600. All in all, some 50 dogs have indeed died as a result of these unexplainable jumps from the bridge. Eerie and sad phenomenon has earned the site the nickname the Dog Suicide Bridge. This is a view of the top of the bridge. Uh, In the beginning, the land and property were still known as Overton Farm, in which the farmhouse stood and presently the formal garden. In 1859, eventually it was acquired by James White. He retired from his legal practice and uh, three years later built the Overton House on the property. He died in 1884. His son, John White, hired a landscaper designer uh, to design the bridge to join Overton with Garshick. The old Overton Bridge, as it stands, is an extension of the driveway that adjoins the Overton House. So there's a whole history of this bridge, and the phenomenon has dog owners understandably on edge. Three years ago, Lottie McKinnon was walking her border collie, Bonnie, over the Overton Bridge during one of their walking sessions, when suddenly McKinnon said she could sense something changed in her dog. Something overcame Bonnie as soon as we approached the bridge. She said at first Bonnie froze and then became seemed to become possessed by some strange energy. She ran and jumped right off the parapet. She was one of the lucky ones who survived the jump. But uh, the strangest thing, details are in our uh, the link in our show notes tonight. It's uh, allthatsinteresting.com. And uh, there is some, uh, the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals sent representatives to investigate. They were left stumped and simply could not figure out the mystery. Um, Theories abound. Uh, They have said perhaps it's either superstition, it's ghosts, it's spirits. Other people think that small animals are leaving very strong scent trails, which the dogs are attracted to and they can't resist jumping after them. Um, so yeah, check this article out. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. It's a a very sad story, but, um, amazing nevertheless. All right. Uh, okay. It is time. Time to head on over to our book. As you know, or maybe you don't, on this show from the very beginning, 175 episodes ago. Wow! 175 episodes? That deserves a very nice round of applause. Yeah, 175 episodes ago, we started with The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. We read a chapter every night until we got to the end, and then we went on. I forgot what our second book was, but we've done Peter Pan, The Wizard of Oz, uh, The Little Prince, mm, Peter Cottontail, uh, Peter Rabbit, uh, the Velveteen Rabbit. We mentioned the Little Prince, and uh, we've done a whole bunch of classic books. So we did a Christmas Carol too, which led us into Christmas season. So right now we're doing Tom Sawyer. It's a long book. There's twenty, thirty chapters in this book. It's huge. It was written, of course, by Mark Twain back in 1876, and. Um, It was a little piece of trivia for you, if you don't know. It's the first novel ever completely written on a typewriter, one of the first. Uh, So we are reading a chapter every show at the end of our show, and uh, eventually we'll get through the book, and we might just go over to The Adventures of Huck Finn, which is also, of course, the follow-up to to, uh, Tom, Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. I will, however, give you this warning. I do it every time, and especially now with all this bull crap about Joe Rogan and the N-word and all that garbage going on in the politically correct, stupid world. Uh, This was written in 1876, and some of the words in this book at the time were perfectly acceptable. Nowadays, mm, not so much. We, however, are reading the book the way it was written. We are reading it exactly the way it was written. That does occasionally include an N-word and other references that 
are not appropriate these days, but they were appropriate in 1876. So you have been thusly warned. If that kind of thing gets your little panties in a twirl, you might want to do something else for the next 15 minutes or so. All right. So having said that, let's pop up the book title here. Where is our book title? Where'd it go? I have no idea. There's supposed to be a book title over here right now. But for some reason, that's not working. And I don't know why. There it is. <laughs> we got it. All right. We're on chapter 16 tonight in The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. After dinner, all the gang turned out to hunt for turtle eggs on the bar. They went about poking sticks in the sand, and when they found a soft place, they got down on their knees and dug with their hands. Sometimes they'd take 50 or 60 eggs out of one hole. They were perfectly round, white things, a trifle smaller than an English walnut, and they had a famous fried egg feast that night, and another on Friday morning. Well, after breakfast, they went whooping and prancing out to the bar and chased each other round and round, shedding their clothes as they went until they were naked, and then continued the frolic far away up the shoal water of the bar, against the stiff current, which latter tripped their legs from under them from time to time and greatly increased the fun. And now, and then, they'd stoop in a group and splash water in each other's faces with their palms, gradually approaching each other with averted faces to avoid the strangling sprays, and finally gripping and struggling till the best man dunked his neighbor. Then they all went under in a tangle of white legs and arms and came up blowing, sputtering, laughing, and gasping for breath at one and the same time. When they were all exhausted, they'd run out, sprawl on the dry, hot sand, and lie there, cover themselves up with it, and by and by break for the water again and go through the original performance once more. Finally, it occurred to them that their naked skin represented flesh-colored tights very fairly. So they drew a ring in the sand, and they had a circus with three clowns in it, for none would yield this proudest post to his neighbor. Next, they got their marbles and played knucks and ring-taw and keeps till the amusement grew stale. Then Joe and Huck had another swim, but Tom would not venture, because he found that in kicking off his trousers, he had kicked his string of rattlesnake rattles off his ankle, and he wondered how he had escaped camp so long without the protection of this mysterious charm. He did not venture again until he found it, and by that time the other boys were tired, ready to rest. They gradually wandered apart, dropped into the dumps, and fell to gazing longingly across the wide river to where the village lay drowsing in the sun. Tom found himself writing Becky in the sand with his big toe, he scratched it out, and was angry with himself for his weakness. But he wrote it again, nevertheless. He couldn't help it. He erased it once more and then took himself out of temptation by driving the other boys together and joining them. But Joe's spirits had gone down almost beyond resurrection. He was so homesick that he could hardly endure the misery of it. The tears lay very near the surface. Huck was melancholy, too. Tom was downhearted, but tried hard not to show it. He had a secret, which he wasn't yet ready to tell. But if this mutinous depression was not broken up soon, he would have to bring it out. He said, with a great show of cheerfulness, I bet there's Pirates on this island before, boys. We'll explore it again. They've hid treasures here somewhere. How do you like to feel like on a rotten chest of gold and silver hay? But it roused only faint expressions, which faded out with no reply. Tom tried one or two other seductions, but they failed too. 
It was discouraging work. Joe sat poking up the sand with a stick and looked very gloomy. Finally, he said, Oh, boys, let's give it up. I want to go home. I'm, I'm so lonesome. Oh, no, Joe, you'll feel better by and by, said Tom. Just, just think of the fishing that's here. I don't care for fishing. I want to go home. But, Joe, there ain't such another swimming place anywhere. Swimming's no good. I, I don't seem to care for it somehow. And when there ain't nobody to say I shan't go in, I, I mean, go home. Oh, shucks, baby, you want to see your mother, I reckon. Yes, I do want to see my mother. And you would, too, if you had one. I ain't any more a baby than you are. And Joe snuffled a little. Well, we'll let the crybaby go home to his mother, won't we, Huck? Poor thing doesn't, doesn't want to see his mother. So it shall. You like it here, don't you, Huck? We'll stay, won't we? Huck said, Yes, but without any heart in it. I'll never speak to you again as long as I live, said Joe, rising. There now. And he moved moodily away and began to dress himself. Who cares, said Tom. Nobody wants you. Go home. Get laughed at. Ah, you're a nice pirate. Huck and me ain't crybabies. We'll stay, won't we, Huck? Let him go if he wants to. I reckon we can get along without him, perhaps. But Tom was uneasy, nevertheless, and alarmed to see Joe go sullenly on with his dressing. And then it was discomforting to see Huck eyeing Joe's preparations so wistfully and keeping up such an ominous silence. Presently, without parting word, Joe began to wade off toward the Illinois shore. Tom's heart began to sink. He glanced at Huck, and Huck could not bear the look. He dropped his eyes, and then he said, I want to go too, Tom. I was getting so lonesome anyway, and now it'll be worse. Let us go too, Tom. I won't. You can all go if you want to. I mean to stay. Tom, I better go. Well, go along. What's hindering you? And Huck began to pick up his scattered clothes, and he said, Tom, I, I wished you wouldn't come, too, but now you think it over. We'll wait for you when we get to shore. Well, you'll wait a blame long time, that's all. And Huck started sorrowfully away. Tom stood looking after him with a strong desire tugging at his heart to yield his pride and go along too. He hoped the boys would stop, but they still waded slowly on. It suddenly dawned on Tom that it was becoming very lonely and still. He made one final struggle with his pride and then darted after his comrades yelling, Wait! Wait! I want to tell you something! So they presently stopped, turned around. When he got where they were, he began unfolding his secret. And they listened moodily until, at last, they saw the point he was driving at. And then they sent a war whoop of applause and said it was splendid. And said if he'd told them at first, they wouldn't have started away. He made a plausible excuse, but... His real reason had been the fear that not even the secret would keep them with him any very length of time. And so he had meant to hold it in reserve as a last seduction. Well, the lads came gaily back and went at their sports again with a will, chattering all the time about Tom's stupendous plan and admiring the genius of it. After a dainty egg and fish dinner, Tom said he wanted to learn to smoke now. But Joe caught at the idea and said he'd like to try too. So Huck made pipes and filled them, and these novices had never smoked anything before but cigars made of grapevines. They bit the tongue and were not considered manly anyway. 
So now they stretched themselves out on their elbows and began to puff, charily, with the slenderest of confidence. The smoke had an unpleasant taste, and they gagged a little. But Tom said, Why, it's just as easy. If I'd have known this was all, I'd have learned a long time ago. So would I, said Joe. It's just nothing. Why, many a time I've looked at people smoking, and I thought, well, I wish I could do that. But I, I never thought I could, said Tom. That's just the way with me, ain't it, Huck? You've heard me talk just that way, haven't you, Huck? I'll leave it to you, Huck, if, if you haven't. Oh, yeah, heaps of times, said Huck. Well, I have too, said Tom, oh, hundreds of times. Once down by the slaughterhouse. Don't you remember, Huck? Bob Tanner was there, and Johnny Miller, Jeff Thatcher, when I said it. Don't you remember, Huck, about me saying that? Mm, yes, that's so, said Huck. That, that was the day after I lost a white alley. No, it was the day before. There, I told you so, said Tom. Huck recollects it. I believe I could smoke this pipe all day, said Joe. I don't feel sick. Well, neither do I, said Tom. I could smoke it all day, too, but I bet you Jeff Thatcher couldn't. Jeff Thatcher? Why, he'd keel over with two draws. Just let him try it once. He'd see. I bet he would, and Johnny Miller, I wish I could see Johnny Miller tackle it once. Oh, don't I, said Joe. Why, I bet you Johnny Miller couldn't any more than do this than nothing. Just one little sniffer would fetch him. Indeed it would, Joe, say, I wish the boys could see us now. So do I. Uh, say, boys, uh, don't say anything about it. Sometime when they're around, I'll come up to you and say, Hey, Joe, got a pipe? I want to smoke. And you'll say, kind of careless-like, as if it weren't anything. You'll say, yes, I got my old pipe and another one, but my tobacco ain't very good. I'll say, ah, that's all right if it's strong enough. Then you'll out with the pipes, and we'll light up just as calm and see em look. By jinx, that'll be gay, Tom. I wish it was now. So do I, and when we tell em where we learned when we was off piratin', ho, ho, won't they wish they'd been along. Oh, I reckon not. I just bet they will. So the talk ran on, but presently began to flag a little, and grow disjointed. The silences widened, the expectorations marvelously increased. Every pore inside the boys' cheeks became a spouting fountain. They could scarcely bail out the cellars under their tongues fast enough to prevent an inundation. Little overflowings down their throats incurred, in spite of all they could do, and sudden retchings followed every time. Both boys were looking very pale and miserable now. Joe's pipe dropped from his nervous fingers. Tom's followed. Both fountains were going furiously, and both pumps bailing with might and main. And Joe said feebly, I've lost my knife. I, I reckon I better go find it. Tom said with quivering lips and halting utterance, I'll help you. You go over that way, and I'll hunt around by the spring. No, you needn't come, Huck. We can find it. So Huck sat down and waited an hour. Then he found it lonesome, and he went to find his comrades. They were wide apart in the woods, both very pale and both fast asleep. But something informed him that if they had had any trouble, they'd gotten rid of it. They were not talkative at supper that night. They had a humble look, and when Huck, Huck prepared his pipe after the meal and was going to prepare theirs, they said uh, no. They were not feeling well. Something they ate at dinner disagreed with them. About midnight, Joe awoke and called the boys. There was a brooding oppressiveness in the air that seemed to bode something. The boys huddled themselves together and sought the friendly companionship of the fire. 
through the dull, dead heat of the breathless atmosphere was stifling. They sat still, intent, waiting. The solemn hush continued. Beyond the light of the fire, everything was swallowed up in the blackness of darkness. Presently there came a quivering glow that vaguely revealed the foliage for a moment and then vanished. By and by came another, a little stronger, then another, and then a faint moan came sighing through the branches of the forest, and the boys felt a fleeting breath upon their cheeks and shuddered with the fancy that the spirit of the night had gone by. There was a pause. Now a weird flash turned night into day and showed every little grass blade, separate and distinct, that grew about their feet. It showed three white, startled faces, too. A deep peal of thunder went rolling and tumbling down from the heavens and lost itself in sullen rumblings in the distance. A sweep of chilly air passed by, rustling all the leaves and snowing the flaky ashes broadcast about the fire. Another fierce glare lit up the forest and an instant crash followed that seemed to rend the treetops right over the boys' heads. They clung together in terror in the thick gloom that followed. A few big raindrops fell pattering on the leaves. Quick, boys, go for the tent, said Tom. They sprang away. Stumbling over roots and among vines in the dark, no two plunging in the same direction. A furious blast roared through the trees, making everything sing as it went. One blinding flash came after another, and peal on peal of deafening thunder. And now a drenching rain poured down, and the rising hurricane drove it in sheets along the ground. The boys cried out to each other, but the roaring wind, the booming thunder blast, drowned their voices utterly. However, one by one, they straggled in at last and took shelter under the tent, cold, scared, and streaming with water. But to have company in misery seemed something to be grateful for. They couldn't talk. The old sail flapped so furiously that even if the other noises would have allowed them, the tempest rose higher and higher, and presently the sail tore loose from its fastings and went winging away on the blast. The boys seized each other's hands and fled with many tumblings and bruises to the shelter of a great oak that stood upon the river bank. Now the battle was at its highest, under the ceaseless flagration of lightning that flamed in the skies. Everything below stood out in the clean-cut and shadowless distinctness. The bending trees, the billowy river with white with foam, the driving spray of spoon flakes, the dim outlines of the high bluffs on the other side, glimpsed through the drifting cloud rack and the slanting veil of rain. Every little while some giant tree yielded the fight and fell crashing through the younger growth and the unflagging thunder peals came now in ear-splitting explosive bursts, keen and sharp and unspeakably appalling. The storm culminated in one matchless effort that seemed likely to tear the island to pieces, burn it up, drown it in the treetops, and blow it away, and deafen every creature in it all at once and in the same moment. It was a wild night for homeless young heads to be out in. But at last, the battle was done. The forces retired with weaker and weaker threatenings and grumblings, and peace resumed her sway. The boys went back to camp a good deal awed, but they found there was still something to be thankful for, because the great sycamore, shelter of their beds, was a ruin now, blasted by the lightnings, and they were not under it when the catastrophe happened. Everything in camp was drenched, the campfire as well. They were heedless lads, like their generation, 
They'd made no provisions against rain. Here was matter for dismay, for they were soaked through and chilled. They were eloquent in their distress, but they presently discovered the fire had eaten so far up under the great log it had been built against, where it curved upward and separated itself from the ground, that a hand-breath or so of it had escaped wetting. So they patiently wrought it, until with shreds and bark gathered from the underside of sheltered logs, they coaxed the fire to burn again. Then they piled on great dead boughs till they had a roaring furnace and were glad-hearted once more. They dried their boiled ham and had a feast, and after that sat by the fire and expanded and glorified their midnight adventure until morning, for there was not a dry spot to sleep on anywhere. As the sun came up, and began to steal in on the boys, drowsiness came over them. They went out on the sandbar and lay down to sleep. They got scorched out by and by and drearily set about getting breakfast. After the meal, they felt rusty and stiff-jointed and a little homesick once more. Tom saw the signs, fell to cheering up the pirates as best he could, but they cared nothing for marbles or circus or swimming or anything. He reminded them of the imposing secret and raised a ray of cheer. While it lasted, he got them interested in a new device. This was to knock off being pirates for a while and be Indians for a change. They were attracted by this idea. So it wasn't long before they stripped and stripped from head to heel with black mud like so many zebras all of them chiefs, of course. And then they went tearing through the woods to attack an English settlement. Well, by and by, they separated into three hostile tribes and darted upon each other from ambush with dreadful war hoops and killed and scalped each other by the thousands. It was a gory day. Consequently, it was an extremely satisfying one. They assembled in camp toward supper time, hungry, happy, but now a difficulty arose. Hostile Indians could not break the bread of hospitality together without first making peace. This was a simple impossibility without smoking the pipe of peace. There was no other process they'd ever heard of. Two of the savages almost wished they'd remain pirates. However, there was no other way. So, with such show of cheerfulness as they could muster, they called for the pipe and took their whiff of it past in due form. And behold, they were glad they'd gone into savagery, for they had gained something. They found they could now smoke a little without having to go and hunt for a lost knife. They did not get sick enough to be seriously uncomfortable. They were not likely to fool away this high promise for lack of effort. No, they practiced cautiously after supper, with right fair success. And so they spent a jubilant evening. They were prouder and happier in their new acquaintment than they would have been in the scalping and skinning of six nations. We will leave them to smoke, and chatter, and brag, since we have no further use for them at present. <laughs> and that's chapter 16. Wow. Coming up on our next stream, we'll move on to uh, chapter 17 in the adventures of Tom Sawyer. All right, we went a little over tonight. Hope you found it worth it. I will see you again on Saturday night, and we will have a very special guest we talked a little about Sunday's event coming up. I will let you know that event has been canceled because the management of the park uh, was a little concerned about the rise in COVID cases. So they've asked us not to have this event. However, we are still looking for your donations uh, to help out uh, the pet shelter and pay for some medical services for our fur friends. We'll tell you more about that with our special guest uh, coming up on Saturday night. 
So uh, check that out, please, and do join us on Saturday. We'll spend just a small amount of time talking and letting you know more about how you can help, and I'm sure that you're going to want to do that. Me, I'll see you again on Saturday. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good night. <laughs>